Welcome to the Armada Podcast with your host, Kalorn. You're going to go up against people who are skilled. You're going to go up against people who have a plan that they're going to implement to counter your Fox Omega. Even when Leia was not points efficient. Oh, is that, is that how we're phrasing that? Okay. <laughs> okay, I'm trying to, yeah, I'm, I'm walking a tightrope here. And now, the Armada Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Armada Podcast. It's hard to believe that we've put in uh, enough episodes to get all the way up to 15. Today we have a special guest, Geek, from what... What did was uh, what did you guys actually call the your podcast internally, Geek? Uh, it was always the Unnamed Armada Podcast. Uh, okay, so we'll go with that. Uh, we've recently had Truthy on a couple of times, uh, so this time we have have Geek to explore a slightly different avenue, and we'll get to what that's going to be in just a little bit here. But first, we're going to head over to Fox, who is actually back this week to ask a few questions of Geek. Yeah, I'm actually back. I live. Um, all right, Geek. Welcome to the podcast. Um, you don't play Armada anymore, but you live. I don't. I, I live. I exist in this realm, but I don't play Armada anymore. Sorry. Just oh, kidding. I thought, you were, I thought you were talking about me not playing Armada anymore. It's been a, it's been a minute for me. So, but I'm <laughs> for both of back us. On, yeah, heading back on Friday. First game back. I oh, played please. Armada on Tuesday. Thank you. <laughs> you. Well, no one asked you. All right. Here, so here we go. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Geek. I have some questions for you. Got to go through the traditional Armada podcast interview. So here we go. Number one, how long have you been playing Armada? I'd say listening is my greatest asset, really. Um, I've been playing Armada since it started. Uh, Eric bought the... Eric and my friend Matt, I have many friend Matts, but the one locally, um, had picked up the starter set, or tried out the starter set at Adepticon when we were still playing War Machine. Um, and... He brought Eric brought the star set over to my apartment. Um, we ended up. He was the Empire. I was the Rebels, and we were like, "This seems fun. This seems pretty cool." We played a little bit. Um, we were getting out of War Machine because crazy internal meta and a lot of. There's a long story there. It's we don't play War Machine anymore. Um, it's if you're still playing, cool. Um, but we aren't. And when we went to the massing at Sullust, we were not tired after three games each. It was very weird. It was after War Machine, you just wanted to go home and sit and do nothing for several hours, just veg. But our motto, we were like, no, we're still good for, you know, we could do another game if we wanted to tomorrow. We can, we're back next week. There's no week off for tiredness and been playing basically ever since then. So nice. And then you guys were constructing the, can I get your ship out? Uh, blog. Like when did that start? When did you guys start constructing? So that the blog, blog came up, so the blog came about um, when we had like we were introducing new people to the our local meta, and we would I was definitely very heavily invested in my job at the time, um, and definitely not working at it, and also writing email screeds about how to run squadrons, how to run a this, do this, fix this, run a CR ninety, do this. Here's all the things you need to do. Um, again, definitely not doing that at work. Um, and then two days later, somebody new would come to the meta and we're emailing it again. How do I run black die ships? And it was just, at some point we just hit a level of, okay, look, we're just going to write this all down in one shot and 
we can just, when someone new comes in, how do I run X-Wings? Here, it's the page, run X-Wings. Just <laughs> And it was interesting, those original blog posts, it was very, it was a lot of couching and hemming and hawing and like, well, I mean, you know, if you want to do this, you can, and here's a, here's a different way of doing things, and, you know, here's one potential way, and then, like, at some point later, we just ended up cleaning it up and just, it turned into, look, Lancers are bad. You can do them in specific cases, and here they are, but generally they're bad. Stop taking Lancers. So. <laughs> nice. Uh, I'm, get, I'm also getting the vibe that you were actually doing this decimators while you are working. But, yeah, Decimators, don't take those. Um... Okay, so next question. What would you say is your play style? It depends on the faction, um, because I can say MSU and squads, and that's really great in Rebels, and it works out fine, and I can, I like, I don't really, I love my Liberty Paint job, I'm very happy with my home one, I don't run them anymore, but then you go to Gar, and there is no MSU play style, like, I've built a list and it seems okay and I don't want to run that because I can put a Venator on the table and it's, it's not even like I'm a huge Clone Wars fan. It's just, I like the Venator. It, it big, it do things. And it's so rebels, it's squads and MSU Gar, It's some squads, some just, you know, smash ships into things. So, but competitively, mainly MSU and squads. Nice. Yeah. Gar is like giant. You're throwing giant bricks at your opponent and, Hoping you break a window. Um, if you could, and this is this is weird asking you this question because you've given so much advice on the blog, but if you could give advice to the you starting the game, what would it be? So the, and probably what's going to lead into all of our talk today, um, have a reason for including everything in your list and why it's in your list and what it's doing there. I, there were definitely times it's, I've run the salvation Intel officer, uh, AST quad battery turrets or spinals or, and it's a nice ship, but it's also 70 points and you're really dice hoping and like, but then you back it up with an IF Pelta and it's just, I'm putting a million points into making one shot hurt. And it's it's like salvation's great, but it's like, man, I really hope I, I roll a bunch of crits here. <laughs> So have a reason that stuff is in your list. Yeah, no, that's that's really good advice. Um, I, I see that a lot. I see a lot of people kind of pour, you know, 200, 250 points into one Wombo combo, and it just doesn't work out the way that you usually think it would. Uh, your ships have to be independent, but also simultaneously codependent. If they're If they're only dependent on each other, um, you run into some hairy situations when one of those critical pieces falls, you know? So no, that's really good advice. Um, all right. So this, Before we episode- get, we get oh, into, uh, into that. I wanted to add, uh, circle back to something geek said, you talked about that. You came from war machine where you were playing games and then you would just feel worn out. One of the things that we've talked about on, on the show here a little bit is when we're playing in tournaments, when you're playing three or four games, there are some, f- fleets that you play that are very, very taxing. And then there are some that you kind of intentionally play that are, are simpler for reasons of, you know, when you're going to, for doing well in a tournament, what parts of Armada struck you as being easier to deal with in terms of mental fatigue than war machine? And why is that important in, in a competitive meta? So the reason we quit war machine, um, 
we had been playing for uh, several years by that point, and to sum up a game that I don't know if everybody else plays, it's you have one warcaster who's in charge of some robots and some, like, troops, and instead of the armada, my ship goes, your ship goes, I go, you go, I go, you go, it's all of my dudes go, then all of your dudes go, and then back and forth, which lets you set up even, like, I've seen some armada wombo combos, this is, like... I played the I played Signar, the army that was built around, you know, you flip the man into the can and then you knock over the ban and then you know you know suddenly I have ten shots into your the guy in charge of your army and Kane too, uh, <laughs> and you had to watch out for a large amount of like okay so if you run into Denegra one she's got this ability where she can if you forget about it and you aren't and you're within 16 inches of her on the table she can blow up all your dudes and if you're hitting gas gasphyxius too the it's a fantasy we're just going to gloss over the names um he can do this if you're within 20 inches of him and it's just it turned into this very full like Eric described it as you need to do homework to do okay in the tournaments <laughs> and I mean, when you're starting out in Armada here, it's you have Screed, and you have Mahdi, and you have the uh, other one, and then you have Mothma, and you have Dadana, and the other one, the Garm. You know, it's like, you can see what's happening. It's easier to understand, and the, you know, I've also been playing for ages at this point, so it's, you know, I can see what a Garm fleet's going to do, and, like, I'm not going to claim, like, I know, oh, as soon as you plop your fleet on the table, I can see all the combos you're doing, and blah, 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 but, like, it's you see enough of these that, okay, there's the Patriot Fist. Here's where it's, it's gonna hurt. <laughs> you just gotta prep for that and go on from there. So, like, not having to do the Warcaster homework kind of thing of making sure, you know, setting up everything like that and the ability to react to also helps. So It's interesting that you, you, you talk about it that way. You know, I one of the things that is changed for me in the last year or so. And one of the reasons why I think I've been doing better in tournaments itself is that usually when I see an opponent put down their fleet, I have a pretty good idea of what they are going to do. There was one match that I played in the ITC again, the, the final round against, uh, I think it was Patrick was my opponent and he used Ashoka officer to make she used to and flight controllers to snipe four with arcs. And I had never seen that combo and it really caught me off guard because it wasn't one that I had run into before, but you know, having a true surprise in Armada for me is, is really rare these days. So, you know, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things that's interesting for me to see that you're talking about a lot of the same things, but it's nice that Armada is in a position where you, you couldn't, you have the capacity to actually hear about most of the things that are going on. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, and that's what I like about it is you can. There's always something new, something you can pick at the edges and find out um, going on. But a lot of the times, you've seen a lots of lots. It's how it's applied, kind of thing. Fair enough, uh, Fox. Sorry, I didn't mean to derail you there, but uh, it was really interesting that he brought up that particular aspect. I wanted to touch on it before we went on. Yeah, no sweat. We got a, a you know a whole episode to talk about. Um, list building and stuff like that. So that is the topic of today's episode is uh, we're going to dive deep into list building strategies. Um, Geek and I, we're going to exclude Kellorn for a a good amount and talk about uh, building to an unpopular commander. Me and Geek kind of share 
uh, we have a shared experience in two different factions with that. But we'll, we'll allow Kellorn to uh, to contribute I've a little some bit. Some unpopular commanders over the years. We uh, not since you've known me, but I have. Yeah, I played Kraken. He's unpopular. <laughs> not that uh, was not. I actually have never. I've put a lot of Kraken lists together. I've never actually played Kraken. Wait, K K Kraken or C Kraken? Either one. I see you cracking. All right. Um, <laughs> so let's move into we're going to talk about first thing. Let's talk about some of our own list building strategies. I have some prompts I want to go through uh, and each of us can kind of talk to our mentality when it comes to these topics. So topic number one, uh, when you are building a list, what order do you go in? And I'm talking about like, do, do you build to objectives? Do you build to a commander? Do you build to ships? Do you build to upgrades? Um, Geek, let's start with you. What do you, when you're building a list, what is the thing that inspires you to create it? What, where do you start at uh, in that list? Okay. So first you add Leia. Um, (laughs) No, right. right, That's the standard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So before I begin, and I just want to reiterate, like, this is how I do it, and I'm aware the point of your podcast is to try to move people from C tier to B tier, B tier to A tier, whatever the, you know, it's the intermediates. Um, I feel like I'm about to just spend a whole episode doing the uh, quote of uh, Janosch from Ghostbusters 2 of just, like, looking at the painting and everything you're doing is bad. Just... It's all bad. Um, And I don't want to, like, make that seem like that's the plan. But, like, list building is the one of the more important parts of the game. And if you don't have a good list, like, you've lost pre-deployment. You've lost, you know, it's like, oh, I just shoved, you know, here's a bunch of upgrades I put on my ship. And, like, you know, if you you don't know why you're putting them there, why, why you're doing what you're doing, you're already in trouble. And... You know, it's the, I put XI7 on, you know, my Architens. Okay, why? And stuff like that. So, the order, having prefaced all that of just, like, you know, if you find something that works for you, keep at it, you know. But, like, here's how I feel about it. When I'm building a list, you know, I start with the commander I want to build. Um, and knowing the commanders and knowing what they're good at and what ships they want is important because it's, you can put, you can build an Akbar Liberty list. You, I wouldn't, but if you want to, like the game is fun and they're your plastic spaceships, but you know, the H80 is right there. And it's like, you could put Akbar on the Starhawk. It's also got the large side arcs. Yes, but it's a schoolian points and it doesn't have a defensive retrofit. So these are, options so knowing the ships in your faction for what your commander can do and wants to use them with and you know like the main you know your main beat stick ships your main where is my damage coming from where is my you know if you're okay you want to build a squad list like okay so then what's your carrier sort of thing so like having the commander the commander focuses my ship choice like the easiest example is old ozel really didn't want an ISD-1 because it's like, okay, cool. Like, you can change it from speed 3 to speed 1. And like, yeah, but you're just going to ram into something anyway. Like, it's it's fine. You know, new Ozzel, like, he's better with a whole bunch of stuff. But Leia is my easy go-to of, like, okay, you want to do a bunch of things. You want to do individual things really well. So, like, you've I've run Leia Liberty. It's okay. Um, I should have been using Garm, but, you know, I'm uh, going against the grain. 
Garm wants, you know, a bunch of command twos and command threes, and, you know, he'll take a command one or two, command one, or he'll take two of those ships. Like, Schmitty had the hammerhead in his uh, Gen Con winning list. And those work, but, like, are you getting the best use out of your commander, like, of what you can do? So you've got your commander, you got your ships, and then, you know, you got to bring the squad presence, um... And then you just end up, the objectives from there, like, kind of, there's good objectives and bad objectives, and you, after a while you start knowing what's a good objective, what's a bad objective, and stop putting fleet ambush into things. Um, and from there, it's, you know, filling out the list after that. But it's mainly, commander chooses ships. So, and the ships and commander then choose objective, sort of thing, so. Yeah, um, and I think that that aspect differs faction to faction, you know. But Killer, what do you think, man? I I actually am surprisingly going to mirror most of what what Geek said. I I tend to start with the commander because, as Geek said, that kind of informs the kind of list that you want to play. Um, so if you start with the commander, then everything kind of flows downhill from that. Now, there have been a couple of exceptions for me. Uh, there, you know, when I look at MSU type fleets, when I'm trying to put MSU type fleets, a lot of times I will put together what I, I hope are, you know, good, solid MSU ships and then find the commander that fits the type of shit that I'm kind of going kind of play. So I do occasionally find that to be an exception not always a lot of times you want to start and say oh i want to play rebel kraken or i want to play uh Riken, or i you know i want to play ramadi and and go with msu you know that's fine too either way works there and the other exception that i would kind of uh point out is when i was putting together my starhawk list for that i played at txo and that has kind of spawned into nastiness uh, other places is i put together the the objectives that i wanted first and I put and I said I want these objectives because I either want to push somebody into an advanced gunnery or I want to be able to farm points uh, on fire lanes or sensor net. So in that specific case, because I was trying to do a specific thing to win a tournament, I thought about the objectives that I wanted and then put the fleet together to maximize my ability to use those objectives. So most of the time that I'm putting a fleet together, I everything he said is what I do. I you know, I take that commander, find the ships, and then put the the objectives together with it. But I think you also have to be aware that there are times when you are really trying to do something either out of the ordinary or something that is specific to win something that you would subvert those general rules of advice. So I am, yeah, I, I see where y'all are coming from, and I'm actually from a completely different angle. I'm about to about to blow this up. I start specifically with my yellow objective. Um, and I know this is weird, but the yellow objective more often than not is the hardest one to leverage in your objective suite. Um, and I usually, when I'm a, right before I start deciding I want to build a fleet, I think about how I want to leverage it. And obviously like with Dooku and, and what, like everyone's, pretty familiar with what I fly. Like, obviously I lean into the abandoned mining facility, but, uh, in the past, you know, in, in my, in my LSO fleet last year, when I had Imperials and I had Demolisher, like, you know, I'm thinking, 
Can I do hyperspace assault? Can I do like, and how do I want to leverage that aspect of it? Um, I, I, I usually choose my commander because of the play style and like, but that's after I've selected which yellow objective I want to choose. And, and, and Keller, and you kind of mentioned that like in your fleet, you kind of did the same thing. Like you decided essentially fire lanes before you even really started building out the rest of it. Like I want to leverage this. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Geek, what do you think, man? No, I'm with you on the yellow objective is one of the harder ones to leverage and like having a good yellow objective is, you know, very important for a fleet or not. And, you know, one of my defaults is hyperspace assault because you don't want an MC-30 in your backyard or you don't want, you know, a clam like right behind you with boarding troopers ready to go sort of thing. So it's having a good yellow objective um, is a very important part of a fleet because it's, yes, VIP is the default and it's fine. But there's, like, if you can find better sort of thing is what I basically think. The funny thing for me is that the yellow objective, I feel like, is there's no middle ground with a yellow objective. Either it is the best objective for you to pick in somebody's objective suite, or it's absolutely untakeable. So, you know, you geek mentioned earlier, you people stop take should stop taking fighter ambush. I, every time I see fighter ambush, I will, it's an almost automatic take for me because it gives me a deployment advantage at the beginning of the game. Um, and whereas like you take any time that I see abandoned mining facility, usually that's just a automatic no, because if they are putting on abandoned mining facility in their fleet, they have a way to exploit it. Even if I think that I can try and flip it, you usually can't, you know, and, and Fox will talk about Dooku and how he stops people trying to flip AMF on him. But you know, it, AMF is, is one of those that I just, it's like, okay, if you have AMF, I'm not playing that game. I, I will lose too many points. Uh, and you know, similarly, I played a, a, a match here, on Tuesday, as I mentioned, against uh, um, uh, uh, Docta, and he had hyperspace assault, but he had an MC-30 that was all tricked out. And I was like, you can't take hyperspace assault. So he'll th- put it in the back of my ships and I'll die. So, you know, but at the same time, lots of people like to put asteroid tactics in there. And it's like, okay, you've got asteroid tactics. I'm going to take that. Just just give it to me because it's, it's something I can play around. So I like I I understand where you're coming from, Fox, but it just it amuses me that yellows are either the one you take or completely untakeable. No, I think that leads into my point though, is that some people don't consider this point enough when they're building their fleet out. Like some of the more potent fleets that have come across, um, at least online, have exploited yellow objectives to a huge degree. Um fire lanes, um, uh, hyperspace assault, like even uh, Keller and even your fleet uh, uh, uses it. If, uh, fire lanes, um, Geek, you were just talking about hyperspace assault too. Um, uh, asteroid tactics, as lame as it seems, if you've got Lando in your fleet, like it's got to be an auto pick. Uh, Grievous loves that. Loves that objective. Like these are the types of thing types of things I'm talking about. Like, um, it, you you need to consider how to leverage your yellow objective. You're not going to be second player all the time but when you are you really need a suite of objectives where like you're saying Kilorn, like it's an obvious choice you don't want an obvious choice you know and the yellow one is the hardest to arrive at i think the other thing that you have to keep in mind is is in the current meta that we're seeing that's evolved over the summer here is that people are bidding hard for second 
So when you're putting a fleet together, you have to make a conscious decision is, am I going to take place? Uh, am I going to take part in the bid war? And if you're not, then you need to put a fleet together. That's going to play as first player most of the time. Sorry. I didn't mean to, to, uh, to jump us ahead, but. Very good. Um, I guess let's talk about that. When, um, uh, when do you start thinking about bid or deployments or activations? Kind of riffing off what you were just talking about. Um, there's been a I, quote I think unquote. You start, yeah, I think you got to start at that at the beginning. Like if you don't, then, you know, like if you, if you're, if you don't think about that at the beginning, then you are committing yourself to winning the bid war in the current environment that we have. Like either if you don't win it and you can see this, you, you go, you look, if you look at the, at the tournaments that we've looked at recently, Fox, the person with the biggest bid has won the tournament more often than not. And why is that? Because when it push came to shove, they were able to lord their objective over somebody else. See, I don't necessarily think about bid at all. Like I, one of my long running jokes is X is for scrubs. Usually it's bid. Sometimes when I'm playing squad listed, squads are for scrubs. Um, ships are for scrubs. You know, it's just it's just a joke of you know I'm not dealing with it right now. And I don't think like yes, bid. It's becoming a second player uh, meta. But I keep saying like, okay, where's the where's the fleet that's going to punish you by making me first? Like, there's some really mean Radis fleets that's just like, haha, we're going to play my second player. Great, we're playing surprise attack, and you have a lib in your deployment zone, turn one, and you really can't escape. Um, um, see what I'm going to do is... And, like, you know, you got to have... I'm not saying I don't think about bid deployments, activations, etc. I, you know start at three activations always, you know, with a reasoning behind it. Um, and sometimes I go up, sometimes I go down. Deployments, it depends on how many squadrons I'm going from. I don't think about the number of deployments I have, but I do think about how do you deploy, which I think is just as important, if not more so. Like, you can work around, you know, three deployments... Well, that's hard, but, you know, with Radis. Um, you can work around sub, uh, sub, whatever your fancy term is, Fox, I'm forgetting it, um, for the number of deployments you have. Um, but you have to know how you're going to leverage what you do have. Like, you know, here's my Radis fleet that's dropping in a Liberty. Okay, how are you getting that Liberty into your opponent as fast as possible before they the onager lines up and shoots you. And, you know, that's part of your building process sort of thing. Like, okay, so I drop lib into lib, and, oh, the onager blew me up before I could get to deploy, and now I'm tabled. So... <laughs> yeah, I think uh, parafleet stats, by the way. That's the term I try to use. Um, yeah, these parafleet stats, um, I think they start to arrive into consideration when your um when you start adding particular pieces to your fleet, for instance, a recusant, if I'm going to add a recusant to my fleet immediately, I'm thinking about deployments. This thing cannot be surrounded. It can't. Um, and so I'm going to think about how many deployments I can squeeze into my fleet to make sure it's on an edge and it can do what it needs to do without blowing up. Right. If um, I need, I mean, a, a lot of these interdictor fleets, uh, that need to go second or your um, 
Kellorn, your your Starhawk fleet. That's just atrocious. Like it needs to go second most of the time. Um, that's when you start thinking about bids. Like, how am I going to get people to engage with me? How am I going to people? How am I going to like castle myself? Immediately, you need to start thinking about bid. And so, it really as as your list progresses, I've found that there are particular pieces that once you add them, they em- they immediately make one of these parafleet stats prominent, and you have to address it. Um, you know, that's just a couple examples. There's a, a couple hit points I want to hit on. The first one is that there was an interesting du- discussion that happened in the separatist uh, fleet chat to today where I, somebody was asking for a TF fleet. And so I threw what is my current iteration of a TF fleet to them. And there was a discussion about, well, if, if you want, you can modify that fleet to win the bid war by just dropping a couple of, uh, dropping a couple of squads. And I said, you're missing the point of why that fleet is what it is, because if you drop a couple of squads and you drop a deployment, then your recusant is going to die every time. Whereas if even even I was it was borderline for me because it was already at seven deployments and I already it was becoming around to the realization that as this summer has progressed, we have moved into much more common eight and nine deployment fleets. So even then, that fleet might not be in a good spot from when I put it together, you know, back in June. But the other thing I want to do uh, kind of lean into a little bit is that when you're thinking about bids you and you're like, I want to go second. That is absolutely fine. You know, if you want to go second, then, and you're going to bid for it, you know, if you, and if you win that bid, everything's good. Cool. But you also, when you're putting your fleet together, if, when you're, and you're thinking about bids, you have to think about if I'm outbid, what am I going to do this summer? Fox, we were in the ITC and I got matched up against another Starhawk that outbid me. And what did you say when I got, when, when uh, we got matched up in that Fox? Oh God, don't, don't, don't quiz me on something I said two months ago. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, I it, you, it was very smart. You said, if you can win as first player with the Starhawk fleet, then you're actually going to play it well because too many times I see people playing the Starhawk fleet or playing a a fleet that is based predicated on going second, that they have no plan for going first and they just lock up and die. So if you are going to be made to go, or if you are, you're betting for second, you need to have a plan for what to do if you're first. Yeah, no, and I think that was a good capstone to the conversation there. Uh, Let's move on to the next uh, question. How do you fill out a fleet? So you've decided you wanted to leverage a commander or you've like, you're like me, like crazy person. And you're like, this yellow objective is good. I swear. Uh, And you start building out your fleet. How do you, how do you fill it? What, What are you, what are the components that you're reaching for? What are the first couple things that you're thinking about adding? Kilmer, what do you think? It's funny because I think of Armada in terms of building blocks. I don't often think of of ships that are completely naked. I'm going to add that. And then I think about the upgrades. I usually think of Armada as this is a good ship concept. I'm going to take that and try out here. Or that's a good ship concept. I'm going to try and bring it in and, and make some tweaks to it and put it in here. And then I will put a fleet together that has a number of ship concepts. And sometimes that works out and sometimes it doesn't. But 
I really, really try and avoid just taking a ship and then trying to jam stuff onto it to see if it works. Okay. So I sort of agree with that in that, you know, there's, I take a ship and like, you know, there's, you know, what upgrades are going to go on it. You're not going to put, um, you're not going to put rapid reload on an MT-30, but it's, for me, it's more a lot of necessary upgrades and ones I would really like to have. Like the easy example is my Venator 1. IF is, it's 96 points. It starts with intensify firepower because, duh. Um, but like everything after that's Magnificent like, with LTT? Yeah, kind of, yeah. It's But then I gotta figure out, okay, so then what happens next? Like, this would be nice to have external racks on here, but if, you know, external racks hit at a, at a point where it's just like, well, I need three, I only have three points and I need something here, it's like, well, I'll try word pods, you know, see if I can work around it, or, you know, what else am I cutting from somewhere else to fit the one point for external racks? Like, what is necessary, sort of thing. But the... The thing that's steered me pretty well for a while is uh, I picked this up from Schmitty, um, and it's if you're building a generic fleet, you spend roughly 240 points in ships, whatever in commander, 80 points in squads, and then the rest in upgrades. And what those upgrades force you to do is it's like, okay, yes, it'd be great to have engine techs and TRCs and Jaina's Light and Intel Officer all on my CR90. I have points for TRCs. That's it. And it's any upgrade you put in is automatically, this is necessary. This will work in every game as opposed to like, you know, the, oh, every third game, you know, this triggers for me and it's really helpful. It's like you get, it's a lot more like brutalist and just like, here's how it's focused down into like maximum armada or, you know, what have you. And the squadron version is 200 in ships, 130 in squads, you're under 30 point commander and the rest in upgrades. It's the same concept of you do not have the muck about points for, Oh, I'd love to put quantum storm in there. Is that really worth roughly one of your 40 points? Eh, not really. <laughs> Guess I'll find something else to do. <laughs> so, yeah, I've, I've found myself uh, ascribing to that mentality as well. I, I usually start, especially with separatists. Um, like when I'm doing separatist list building, the point differentials are so wide. Like, like if, if you're building an empire, there are so many different chassis that are between 44 and 60 points. You know what I mean? Um, but if you're doing separatist list building, there's only one, the hard sell, you know? And so what I've found when I'm building a separate, and, and it's the same with Gar, like to an extent, um, you know, acclimators when they're fully upgraded. Well, and now that you have victories too, like, so there is a little bit of overlap there. But um, even when you talk about the difference between a recusant and a providence, like you're talking about a 20 point difference uh, in, in points, uh, just their large ships. Um, I found that building out a separatist fleet with a bunch of naked boys uh, and kind of seeing what laying out all these chassis, like what they're, what their point total ends up being ends up giving me a good direction uh, for, for where I want to go. It's, it's how I arrived at the, the Kraken, the Kraken streakers uh, that several people have taken to great success. Uh, Brad locally uh, has done great with it. Um, and, it, and like you said, like it also kind of flips if you're going to do squad heavy, the squad ball, uh, the, your squad allotment almost becomes its own, chassis like you you develop all of that first before you kind of move on to something else so i, I mean I, I use a combo of 
I, I use that Schmitty technique a little bit, but I found that in Separatists, it's more valuable to go ahead and throw all of your nakedness in there. And like you said, like you, you get a vibe for the price of a turbo laser. Like you get a vibe that it's going to cost six to eight points. And so if I want a turbo laser, which I do on every single ship in, in CIS, that's going to cost, if I've got three ships, that's 21 points. If I've got four ships, that's 28 points. I got to tack on uh, to the cost of these. Um, so that's, that's kind of where I'm at as far as how I fill out a separatist fleet, at least. So then the related point to that too is there's not as much that's like, you, you start hitting points of like, well, is this worth it? Is this worth what I'm taking? Is this worth the, you know, time it comes up, time it doesn't? Is the like, you know, turbo lasers are great. Like, mm, it might have to be cut for the other things I need for, you know, engine techs to get out or, you know, I need, but there's no, I don't really feel there's any specific upgrade that is mandatory on a ship. Like, I still think black crits are workable. I still think, I think that the GAR and CIS have, what is it, eight? No, ten? No, nine. There's only one Vic and one um, Gazanti. There's, well, okay, so you have, fine, there's bad ships. Um, But the main ships are all good. There's a reason, but you have to know why you're putting them in there, why you're taking them, what you're doing. Like, there's no combat interdictor in Waves 9 and 10. There's some stuff that you need to know why it's there, but it all has a viable place. You guys did um, an article on, like, damage application or approaching, like, having a varied damages I, I forgot the the title of the fleet but it's it or the, the title of the of the blog post but it stuck with me when i read it and it, it's kind of evolved in my mind like that's how i add ships now is thinking about levels of engagement what that causes my opponent to do how can i can consistently apply damage what's my damage application strategy so whenever i say things like yeah i don't have bomber command center in my hyena in, in my fleet with three hyenas and people go, well, what, I mean, don't you think they're too flimsy? And it's like, well, no, because in my damage application plan, uh, I only need them to do one damage and they usually can. And even if, if, if they roll zero damage, um, the next one, like, like the luck kind of evens out, like I'm going to get two damage on the next one. So, um, like having an idea for that, like having a good mix of red dice and close range threats of, um, like using your side arcs to apply damage consistently while you flee or, you know what I mean? Having salvos that are nasty, like varying up your damage application in your fleet building uh, is really, really good. And that's usually how I try to fill out the, at the very, very end when I'm considering upgrades and stuff like that is what, what kind of damage application am I looking for? Even on a squad level, you know, when I'm adding LTT, it's not, it needs to have an application in, uh, in flack as well you know all right so let's move into um last topic for list building strategies before we start going off on unpopular commanders what do we think the three of us we we of course determine what is a legitimate fleet um the three of us together so what do we think makes a high level fleet a competitive fleet what are the things that unite what are the aspects that unite these highly competitive fleets that we see? Uh, vibes and practice. Um, it's 
practice is what makes you a high level fleet because it's I know what I'm capable of, and you know, like I said, I do MSU and squads most of the time. And you hand me, you know, four CR90s and a bunch of rogues, and I can do okay with it. And it's but then you hand that to someone like you know uh, Gillard Playon who plays he plays a large flagship and does you know a lot of large and he might like he might be able to prove me wrong and be like oh actually I did pretty well with MSU at this one point I'm like well okay but it's you need to know your own play style and what you're capable of and what you're good at and what you're what you need to work on so that way you can improve yourself but you need to also know with your play style how do you handle you know the there's going to be an onager at a tournament like i can guarantee there will be one onager minimum at all tournaments from now until worlds or whatever um you can put that in the hot takes section um you know there's going to be a patriot fist because that's what the cis bring um there's going to be some gar weirdness and you know here's pelta with projection experts like you can predict there will be a cr90 a minimum of one cr90 per tournament and like you you need to know how is your list going to handle these? And like, here's how do I handle rogue One Thirty Four? How do I handle Doniger? How do you handle, you need to have an idea for those and then practice it. Get one of your buddies together and be like, all right, uh, Juliet whiskey, get out here. I need, I need a gar list. Put, put yours on the table. I got to see how I do against it, you know, and Fox, I need, throw Dooku at me. I need to see what's happening, how I handle it. And then, you know, there's a semi-apocryphal, Greg Maddox story to turn this on to sports talk. Um, he gave up a hit in like an eighth inning or seventh inning or something like that to a guy in May. And then in the playoffs, he struck him out with, you know, a three inches more outside version of it. And he was really happy that he got him to bite because he thought he was going to throw the same pitch again, but it was, you know, it was a curveball instead of a fastball or something like that. So it's the, you need to know how to handle this. And if you're very lucky, your fleet handles your buddies so well that when you face them inevitably in the tournament, you all draw up to together. Um, you can then kick his butt again. So practice is what makes a high is what makes a fleet. I, I agree with practice. Uh, that's certainly a, a major factor in, in whether or not you're going to be able to do something. And, and if you're going to have the stamina to continue doing it throughout a long tournament, uh, but I want to really go back to the point that you that you made, Geek, about that you need to have a plan. Um, you know, the you need to have a, like here, you need to have a plan to face an SSD because somebody's probably going to bring one or two people are going to bring one. You don't necessarily have to to kill it. You just have to have a plan to deal with it so that you don't die. So because what's, what, what's happened locally is that we have a player who is, will bring an SSD and people will just lock up when they see it because they're like, Oh, we didn't have a plan for it. Whereas then that, and then, and so that player will get a 10 against those people uh, because they just freeze up. And then that player will come up and he'll play against Fox or play against me or play against a couple other people and they'll get hammered and you know it. So you end up with this person who either gets tens or they lose badly uh, because they're, and they're playing an SSD. And, but at the same time, it's like, okay, guys, you need to be aware that this exists. And until people will, everybody can reliably beat it. He's going to keep banging it because it works. And there's a whole bunch of things in, in the in the meta that are like that. Doniger is a perfect example. You brought it up. We have a, a, a guy in the Texas meta that is really, really good at Doniger. And, you know, 
I thought I had a plan to deal with it at the Texas Open series, which we haven't had a chance to talk about yet. And I played it in a way that exactly the way I wanted to play it. And he still beat me because sometimes that's the way life goes. So like, all I'm saying is like, even if you have a plan, you might not work out, but you need to at least have an idea of, of what to do against the people that are in your, in your, or what you're expecting, which leads me into my second point is sometimes you need to bring a fleet based on a meta call is the meta of what you expect to see at the tournament. And this is, this is an absolute gamble. So like, sometimes you bring a, you make a meta call. Like I did this summer at TXO and I brought that Starhawk that was trying to go set into farm points and I cleaned up. And then sometimes you make a meta call like I did at Texas open and I brought Radis and I didn't clean up. Um, and this happened to, to, to truthy at, uh, Nova as well, I believe geek as he brought a fleet that he thought was going to be a good medical. And then just the meta turned out to be something completely different. So I don't know that I, th- I think that it, good fleets have a plan for most things. Uh, and if they're, they're not going to win, they're not going to lose big. I think so to, to your point, I think there's a caveat there that you can't there is no magic sauce here where it's like, oh, I can see the meta coming and I'm going to create a fleet and I'm going to win everything because it still comes down to what Geek was talking about, practice and familiarity. Kellorn, you have familiarity with Radis, and so that, that played to your advantage whenever you switched fleets. You know what I mean? Um, I think a lot of it, I think 80% of it is practice, is being familiar with your fleet. I think a well-practiced fleet and a, a player who's been playing for a while will beat most anything, really. Um, also because when they built the fleet, they considered a lot of uh, things that could be coming at them. But t- number two, the the, the t- remaining 20% is consideration of the things you will face. Um, if you are, I don't care how many times you've practiced your three victory star destroyer fleet, um, you are going to come across something that is going to slap you. Uh, it, it's just the way it is. It's an unbalanced fleet um, or, or Pentavic. You know, that's kind of a meme fleet from a long, long time ago. Like your Pentavic fleet seems great, but it's going to come across something that's going to absolutely slap you. When you consider all the fleets that have very, very strong response, like we don't, we like to talk about um, a rock, paper, scissors meta, you know, um, there are fleets that are rocks or scissors or paper. In reality, what you want to be is like in the middle of those three, having responses to all three of those. And it's difficult right now. There's a lot of super potent fleets, uh, Donagers, uh, this Hawk 134, um, Martuk, which, um, and Gar Baj players and, all this other stuff like that we're seeing a t- from a ton of different angles. It's hard to be ready for absolutely everything, but I believe we're about to see the rise of players who are focusing on balanced fleets who are, who are considering those things, but also aren't leveraging super far into skews um, where the, like I, the example I give in separatists is if, if your fleet is totally reliant on hyena damage, you're not going to do well. Like it's, it's really, really hard to reliably, um, apply 
the hyena damage that you need against all sorts of different fleets. It's just not going to happen. And it's, it's becoming more and more prominent that the, the fleets we're seeing are just getting more and more wild and out there and they leverage different things and different abilities. Um, so 80% practice, 20% consideration of all the different things that you can come across and really like squeezing in the middle. I think those are the fleets that rise to the top, honestly. Um, so Mac has mentioned that too, um, large package that like he doesn't believe Donager is going to do well. He's also flipped on this multiple times, so, such as the nature of large package. But um, like he do, he doesn't believe uh, at one point that Donager was going to do well at Worlds, and I think he's right. Like I think it's not going to do well. It's an imbalanced fleet. There's going to be too many things that have answers for it, and someone's going to think, "Ooh, this is the way to win," and it's not going to be. And it's going to be really disappointing for him. Your 80, 20, 100 thing reminded me. Does anyone remember the name of that one band who did, um, uh, you know, the 80% will, 100% power of skill, etc.? <laughs> I know who you're talking about, but I do not know the name of that, that group. <laughs> Great song, though. So you don't remember the name? I don't. Please enlighten me. It would be Remember the Name. The, the name of the band is Remember the Name. That is oh, the- my God. <laughs> Uh, I feel like I just got hit with a wet fish. <laughs> I was like, I know it's going to be something dumb like that, and yeah, you did not disappoint. Yep, you did not disappoint. That's what we're here for. All right, we're going to uh, move into we're going to move into uh, uh, after I just talked a long time. Uh, Geek, you and I are going to now riff off on what we'll allow Killorn to. to the, I, I oh, have something to add to this discussion, by the way. Okay, so I'll, I'll after you after you uh, intro. Oh, it, it add into the next discussion that we're about to have. Yes, or the, one the we... perseverance, the, the the unpopular commanders. Got it. Okay, because about to say if it if it's about what we just talked about, then that's not happening anymore. Um, so perseverance, the, the concept of perseverance, building into an unpopular commander. Um, the the reason why I wanted to talk about this with you in particular, geek, is you you acquired quite a name for yourself. Um. And being someone who, even when Leia was not points efficient. Oh, is that, is that how we're phrasing that? Okay. Uh, okay, I'm trying to, yeah, I'm, I'm walking a tightrope here. Um, <laughs> she had great uh, personality. Yeah, That's, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> See, she wasn't, uh, I'll say she was definitely not the optimal choice. People agreed she wasn't the optimal choice, both because of pricing and what her effect and all that jazz. Um, you were, you, you became known as someone who stuck with her and you ended up placing pretty highly at worlds, correct? Like with Leia. Is that right? No, no, I got blown out. Um, I, yeah, well, um, I mean, I've done, it was, um, the Gen Con before Gen Cons mattered of, um, you know, where, you know, the top whatever's get to go to things. Um, I placed up there and I like, seventh or ninth or whatever the heck it was but it was the um the worlds i played ginkapo lost 60 points immediately like right on the cusp so he got seven four got blown out 10-1 by truth in this and then i forget the last two games but i got to go to get the the all you can eat uh meat buffet the next day so that was a that, that, that aspect of worlds was great uh <laughs> the all you can meat buffet oh my god i love that place 
it was um uh, Fogo de Chow or whatever the oh dude yeah oh so, the, yeah. those are so good yes tourist and gardens look, or whatever yeah 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 and you and go with the it, lunch special because it's cheap so. yes we go to there's one called Estancia here in, in Austin that my mom yeah. and I go to all the time it's so good but you gotta so get expensive. the lemonade you gotta get the lemonade there dude um but anyways so Is it have vodka no it's just lemonade <laughs> what. <laughs> Dude, does it have tequila? <laughs> no, it's just okay. Also, that's not really like regionally appropriate. It would be like, uh, I mean, I don't know. Dude, I, I'm giving you crap after we, our, we, our we little incident at, at, at or whatever. Oh my gosh. Anyways, um, so speak to what are some things that you found out as you um, you pushed yourself, you 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 played Leia for a long, long period of time. I found with, with Dooku, and I'll talk about this later, but I, I found I unraveled more and more concepts that I started realizing about the commander. Did, did you find something similar, or what was the thing that kind of gravitated you towards Leia? How did you continue to evolve how you built towards her? So the the thing with Leia was it started as some dumb fake bet between it was either truth or Forminder and myself and then i leaned into eric and gillard plan and we just and just said it was it it basically became a is what the list building concepts that we've been talking about have eventually led into of just hack the bone what do you need on this ship to um like keep it viable keep it running and like right now i've got uh, in uh, the fleet i've been playing with leia i have ast on my nebulons and that's it. And it's just because it's a turn one, I hit the engineering button, and then this thing is a little bit harder to kill, and, you know, you can just keep hitting engineering on it. So it's a, like, you need to, with the commanders that you're bringing, it's much more important, like, to look at a list and be like, okay, what is this ship doing for my commander? What is this? Like, CR-90s are great, but, like, I'm moving away from them with Leia because, like, okay, you want to jump from two to four? Like, kind of. Like, you're fine with three. Three's a great CR-90 speed. Like, how often do you confire with the CR-90? Not often. Like, you're navving more often than not. And it's just, like, this is semi-helpful. But, like, it's, like, you know, being able to just pull out and, like, make a rebel list without a CR-90, it's a little scary at first. You're like, what am I doing? Like, but the CR-90, Jaina's light goes right there. It's 53 points. It's, it's you know, yeah. But so knowing what your commander does, what they're good at, what they're, what ships they want, what they, like, how... It's, it's much more important with these, like, you know, let's call them sub-tier admirals or something like that. Like, it's, nobody's playing Maydeen right now out of, like, oh, he's a great commander and, like, he's going to be amazing. But, like, the people that play Maydeen are really into playing Maydeen. <laughs> and, like, you know, they know why they're playing him and, like, what they need to do to leverage his ability. So, it's the same, like, you can make a rebel fleet right now, take a large, strap agate to it, add two flotillas, and it's fine. But the thing I like about the scrub tier commanders is, okay, you get the ability to, A, sometimes people don't know what's happening, which Eric had that happen with Ozzel a couple times back in the day when he was run, running Imperial MSU, like, Ozzel, I've never seen him before, and I'm like, at the next table over, I'm like, oh, I'm in for a treat. <laughs> like, I'm gonna see a good day today where this thing blows up. Um, So just looking and a much better depth of what this commander does and what they do for you to improve is what the playing a 
you know, scrub tier commander for ages has taught me. Yeah. And I think, I think to add to that, um, what you said about the nature of CR nineties is really important as far as applying Leia's ability to it. Also thinking about the, you don't need to be completely optimal, uh, to, for a commander to work really well. It's not like, like trench is a perfect example on the separatists. Like everyone wants him to be 100% optimal, 100% of the time, all of my ships are double dialing and I'm going to freaking throw shields and squads and F you and F the, no, it's like trench is a much more subtle commander than people give him credit for. And the reason why I'm not a fan of him right now is no one is really leaning into that concept. Um, I, I mean, Sam had an awesome fleet with, with Confire uh, considerations. Uh, Keller, at, at one point you had a, a repair fleet. I, I think when you when you have a commander, it's important to consider what works and going leaning into that as much as possible, but also not to the detriment of the list itself. Like there has to be a balance there. I, I agree. And one thing I wanted to kind of put into words here is when you put this on the schedule to talk about, I, I wanted to think about this from a slightly different perspective and a little more holistic perspective. I think that you can think of commanders and think of, I'm thinking of this as a matrix. Okay. So on your Y axis, you have commanders that are, you know, easy to use, medium to use and hard to use. And then on your X axis, you have offensive, defensive, navigation related and command uh, command related. And I think you can pretty easily put the commanders into those buckets. You've got Leia, who is a very difficult commander to use, but but she's using, uh, but she's a command type uh, commander. You know, the one I was thinking of when you were talking about this is Darth Vader. Darth Vader is an extremely powerful commander, but he doesn't get used because his ability can be replicated in other ways. But also he doesn't get used and he's not that great of a commander because there are other better ways to use Vader than to use him as a commander. So I I think that there's a whole aspect to the to when you're talking about a commander, whether they be good or bad, you also have to take into consideration, you know, what is that commander trying to do? Why are they trying to do it? And the one of the things that's most important, we've talked about this before, Fox, is what does that commander need outside of the commander card to work? And this is why things like TF in the, the CIS faction isn't all that great of a commander because he requires just too many points outside of his command card to actually work. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, and it's, it's one of, like, when I was trying to make Dooku... When I was first trying to get Dooku to work, um, you know, do I want to include things like Phylons? Do I want to include things like Slicers? Are those things that are inherently advantageous just for Dooku, or are they just really, really good uh, disruptors of a list? There's a difference there. Dooku can crank the pain of those upgrades to 11 if they're applied if they're applied properly but even without dooku like phylons does come in handy every once in a while and slicer tools i mean that's been a thing for a long long time even without dooku existing um and so there's there definitely is again that like if you are having to add you know 20 30 points to your list just to make the commander work you need to come with it from a different approach i, I think geek 
Geek's approach with Leia is excellent in this way, where you're just putting auxiliary shield techs on uh, auxiliary shield teams on on the Nebulons and go. Like that's all I needed, um, and it, it's effective. It's point efficient. It makes it, it gets the commander doing what it needs to do as quickly as possible, as efficiently as possible. Um, a lot of people like to super lean into a commander's ability. Again, I, I like with with TF. People have rules like it has to have. You have to have four sources of raid. Do you? Like that ends up being twenty eight additional points if it's all B twos. Like that's wild. Your commander now costs fifty points almost. Um, it's a really important aspect, and I think what uh, Geek's fleet building concept earlier, or like that, that came from Schmitty, like really driving down to the bone uh, and then adding upgrades only as like a secondary thought, I think is a really, really important aspect to this type of thing. It allows you to arrive at what's actually important, you know? The, yeah, the thing is, it's, you know, the Ordnance Experts doesn't kill your opponent. The Black Dice ship does. So, you know, that's the the method behind that madness. That's an excellent, uh, that's a really great way to phrase it. Like LTT is going to be the absolute end all be all that allows you to kill your opponent. And it's like, I mean, my munificent side arc isn't really going to do much more than two damage more often than not. Like, so why not just lean into that concept? Like I'm just planning on doing two damage, you know, it's fine. Um, Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, Fox, uh, do we want to move on to hot take 30 and call it a night? Hot take 30. Yeah, we can. We, we, let's, we, we sound like complete garbage compared to, 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 uh, to whiskey. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we shouldn't even try. I mean, he, he's, got the, he's got the voice for this and we just don't. I have, a, I have a face for radio, I've been told. I've been told the same thing. Really weird. Maybe that's why we make a podcast. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, Geek, welcome to Hot Take 30. This is our segment and when we take some hot takes from the... <laughs> Usually they get pulled straight out of the Hot Takes channel on the Armada Tabletop Simulator Discord. So if you have a hot take to share and you'd like us to maybe talk about it, go throw it in that channel and you know you might get picked if it's a, if it's a good one. So Geek, we're going to start out with you uh, as the guest. And it says that the hot take is Gar needs a flotilla flotilla to be remotely competitive. Mm, disagree. Um, it would be nice to have a ship that's addable that's not 45 points minimum, but, like, you work around it. Um, like, the... You can take a Ven 1, you can take... Like, it's... The problem right now with the... That I have with the victory is it didn't really... It's fine. It's... Do I want to run Tarkin's Fats? And that's about it. And... Like, it's your sources now, you either have Clam, Pelta, Pelta, Consular, you have uh, one of everything, or you have, you know, Ven, two Peltas. Like, those are your fleet-building archetypes. And it would be nice to have, you know, a flotilla, but, like, the Pelta is so good at what it does, which is push squads, contain, you know, either Compset or Munitions Resupply, and then Projection Experts. And... You know, the push squads and the comms net, whatever, is that's the flotilla that does that. And then it's projection expertsing some more shields back, so that way it's, you know, my the ships I really care about keeping alive. I mean, I care about you, little Pelta, with your numerical name. It's very important to me. 
Um, they also freaking don't die because they're yes. bastards. I know they're great. Um, <laughs> so like a flotilla would be nice just for the ability to add more ships in that are you know doing things, but it's like it doesn't need a flotilla. It's Gar needs to be approached from a different brain function, different way than like you know the both new factions do. You can't. Like, I know when the Gazanti was first revealed, I was like, oh, great, here comes, you know, like, four small ships, two Gazantis, and then a Patriot Fist. And, like, I haven't seen that fleet pop up just because, you know, it has a bunch of other problems. <laughs> so, like, you know, it's, it would be nice to have a cheaper option. And, you know, I'd take, like, a Hammerhead or something like that just to have a something there. But it's, I don't think they need a flotilla. You want to push squads, go take a Pelta. That's what it's there for. Fox, do you have a take on the Gar flotilla requirements? Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think the Pelta is so versatile and it does all the things I would want a Gar flotilla to do. The only thing that's missing is a cheap activation, and I really don't think they need it. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm a solid disagree on this one. I, I agree with everything Geek said. Alrighty. Well, Fox, your hot take is that you need to get an eight to make the cut. I think this totally misses where we're at right now in the game. I mean, we talked about it earlier, like lists that are built to get tens in one way, get ones in others. And we're just not in the same place we were in 2019. We're not. It's too difficult to guarantee getting over 140 MOV a lot of the time. A lot of the time, you got to pick a singular target, some low-hanging fruit, and you walk away with a seven. And you build your fleet so that if you happen upon a really solid um, a really solid matchup, then then you, you get your eight, nine, or ten, and you, you move ahead in the rankings that way. But I, I really do think you, we, people have to start building to the sixes and sevens uh, and then thinking about one particular or two particular matchups that are common that they can take advantage of. I The eights thing, I made day two at LSO and I got a seven, six, six. Like I made day two with that. Like that's, or something like that. I think it was seven, seven, six or something like that. But you, you don't need it. That's, it's just not, it's not bearing itself out in the data that we're seeing. Deke, how about you? Do you, do you need eights to, to, to win the tournament? Dude, right now I'm just trying to get to day two of Worlds. Um, <laughs> that's been the uh, let's let's try and uh un unsubmarine that one. Um, or there's something else I was trying to get to day two of that I also flubbed that too. It might have just been Worlds. Um, eights are nice, but like you know, submarines happen, and just you need the ability to. I feel you need the ability to recover from any bad game or something like that. That's the most important thing I'd say. I guess the one thing I wanted to add to this particular discussion is that I think shooting for an eight average is fine and is that's going to get you in a really good place. But what I think people get in trouble with is that they see any game where they didn't get, get an eight as a, as a loss. And I think that that's a really dangerous mentality to get into because you're going to go up against people who are skilled. You're going to go up against people who have, you know, a, a plan that they're going to implement to counter your plan. And you're, you know, 
I, I've, you know, this is panning out in Endor for me is that I've played a, a number of games. Only one of those games went exactly according to the plan that I thought it, that I wanted to achieve at the, before the game started, you know, the other games, the other players had a say in, in what happens and how that has gone. And it's resulted in games where I didn't get an eight. And, you know, if you're playing good people, I think that's fine. You have to expect that. But uh, like Fox said, you have to be able to then exploit an opportunity when one pops up. Fox, you had one more thing to add on this? Yeah, just an anecdote. Like Ice Becker uh, was at Gen Con and he, the very first round, he got 8-3'd, I think, Killorn. Is that right? Or something like that. Or 7-4'd. And he, yeah. And he messaged us and he was so like discouraged. He's like, well, I think that's it. And I just walked him through the math. Like, no, think about it. Like day two on like, you're going to need on average, like 26 points, 28 points. Or I, I, I put that number in his head and he ended up making to day two. Like he didn't give up and he actually pushed himself and tried and submarine like geek said, like it, it's, it's a little, it puts a little too much weight on your shoulders to say, uh, you have to get eights when the game is a little bit more, uh, it's a little bit more complex than that. There's a lot more moving parts, a lot more things going on. Just keep trying. Like what's in point, what's important is having the ability to rebound and see that you can rebound and, and look for those, um, look for those opportunities. Um, all right, Kellorn, I have your hot take 30. You ready? You, you actually said this, which is even better. Humans who play Gar long enough become imperial. Your thoughts on your own thought. <laughs> it's hilarious you put this in here because this was like me trolling a bunch of people and like, but also trying to be like ironically funny. Uh, you know, I don't know. I think that when I had a, a misconception about what the Clone Wars factions were going to be and before they actually came out, I... And, and it's one that I've had to struggle with trying to figure out what, you know, how, how to play those factions since they came out. I had this impression that you were going to have Gar be Imperial ships with rebel squadrons mixed together. And that, and that in my mind was going to be overpowered. They've found a way to, for that not to be, but I also think it's a problem as well, because when you look at it and you try and I I, th I don't remember who said this. I think it might've been Alan uh, Stelly Mercier. Uh, he said, when people stop flying Gar ships, like their star destroyers, like their Imperial ships, we're going to break out of the mold. And I thought that was a really insightful thing to say, because you see people who are playing CIS and they're like, oh, this is an MSU faction. And I'm going to fly it like I'm flying my CR-90Bs. And I was like, no, you, you have to think of it as applying a CIS list and not uh, flying a, a a modified rebel list. Geek, what's your view on that, man? Yeah, I'm never playing Imperial. Um, it's a point of pride at this point. Um, I have played every other faction. I did some CIS and testing for nine, but I've never touched an Imperial ship so i'm just never doing it um but the i i agree with what kellen was saying about like you can't just treat them like their isds and everything like that like the the nav chart it, for immediate answer is this is nowhere near as good as an isd like it doesn't turn as well which means like when you nav you need to know when you're navving and why and how 
what what it's going to do. And then, like, you know, you can't just nav every turn with Gar, especially. Like, you need to be confiring or squatting or engineering, so much engineering. And, like, you can take, take, evasive, take, evasive, take evasive action, and that helps, but it's also, like, the ability to know, like, okay, if I move this, you know, Venator out speed three, and then turn two, I use a nav to dial, like, this'll take me right where I need to be, but then I'm like, okay, I'm not navving the rest of the game, I don't have, <laughs> I'm not saying never nav, I'm saying you need to know when you're navving and why, and it's not as easy, and, like, it's it's not as simple as just don't be Imperial, but, like, you know, don't be an Imperial. <laughs> Yeah, I uh I mean Geek and I have been preaching this for a while on the on the Discord and several other people too. Like when I'm glad you said that about Mercier too. Like that's such a poignant thing to say right now. Like we're we are a bunch of players who were playing uh Imperial and Rebel, and now we've got these other pieces that work together in a different context within their faction, and we've gotta break out of that mold of like in the CIS, like, oh, if I've just got a bunch of red dice, I'll win because that's how Akbar wins. And it's like, that's not what's going on right now. You also don't have a speed four element like that, that Akbar has. You don't have enough evades in your fleet. Like, there's a bunch of things going on with that. Um, so, and it's the same with Gardo Imperial. So, yeah, no, I, I, I don't agree with what you jokingly said. Um, yeah, that's all I got. I think that's all we got for for uh, today's episode as well. I want to thank you, Geek, for joining us here to talk about, uh, you know, bliss building stuff. Uh, where can people find you um, on Discord or on the, on the, the can, can I get your ship out blog? And are you guys still going to continue to be our, uh, you know, the competition and, and we're producing a podcast? Um, the main issue with producing a podcast is right now, um, Schmitty is in school year mode, and Truth and I and Schmitty and Eric all have kids of various ages that need care, and, uh, I would like to especially thank my wife, who's standing vaguely down the hall holding our daughter, um, and, uh, allowing me (laughs) to do this podcast, so... Like, we might come back and podcast at some point, but, like, right now we're all very busy, and I'm trying to spin them up into doing Drop Fleet because I can see the need for Drop Fleet, like, and we need a Drop Fleet podcast or Drop Fleet, more Drop Fleet articles and everything like that. I don't play because I don't, I have a daughter now. I don't have time to start a new game. Come on. Like, (laughs) Armada's the, like, I'm hanging on by my teeth and I'm still playing, but it's just like, (laughs) you know, it's, priorities change. So, we're still at Can I Get Your Ship Out, and should AMG ever give us another ship? Yes, there is side-eye in that statement. Um, You know, we'll put up the articles for it and talk about, like, you know, how to run it and everything like that. And um, I'm also on... We are also on the big Discord, which is less Armada-related and more just random crap, and it's fun. Um, But I'm on all the Discords. Hit me up with a PM or... DM, whatever the term is. These kids these days are using Shake's Fist, Shake's Cane. Um... And thank you guys for having me on. Absolutely. It's funny because all three of the hosts have relatively young children, uh, Fox, uh, Juliet, and I. And it's been an interesting challenge getting this podcast off the ground and making it be weekly content while trying to deal with our our family stuff, especially with 
poor poor Fox and his nightmare of a job that's uh been taking off over the last couple of months. Well, yeah, my internet keeps exploding, so. All right. Well, I was well, talking about about your new position, but you know. That oh too. well, that too. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that's it. Like, uh, I guess I'll sign us off. Um, thanks everybody for listening. Thanks geek for coming on. Uh, hope everybody has a good night and fly safe. Thank you for listening to the Armada podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, keep up with the show on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter at Armada podcast. Join us on discord with the link in the show notes until next time.